Hello and welcome to The Rewriters, a celebration of people who have shirked convention, expectation and even their own limitation to rewrite their story on their terms. Each episode will dig into the inspired and very real life stories of people who have done just that, rewritten their story. I'm a nosy practical optimist too, so expect all of the nitty gritty details. If you're an ambitious seeker craving a different kind of lifestyle, career or business, but have felt held back by your own or other people's beliefs about what's possible or permissible, The Rewriters is for you. Hello and welcome to The Rewriters. I'm your host and resident rewriter, Monique Shaw. So I have a solo episode for you today, and this one is all about productivity and what a loaded, tricky, and uncomfortable word productivity is. In episode 15 of this podcast, I talked all about personal brand, and that is another uncomfortable word or term, rather. And in that episode, I mentioned that there are a number of work or work-adjacent terms that can be really difficult to talk about because they are so loaded. They've been so overused, misused, or misunderstood. Personal brand is one of them, and productivity is another productivity and how we think about it and how we apply it in our lives can be really problematic and it can be really damaging. It is bursting with baggage and language can burst with baggage, right? So in this episode, I want to talk about our obsession with productivity and the problem with productivity. And this is very much from my own perspective and experiences and what I understand from my own life and have observed in the culture that I exist in and that we all exist in as well as the people that I work with. I'm going to share a little bit about my relationship with productivity now, as well as what it used to be. And that's really informed by some of the norms that I see in different spaces. So I've worked in environments where hyper unchecked productivity was a norm, and now I'm working in a different space. So the impact that that can have. And then I'm going to share the way I approach productivity and think about the different types of activities that we do in our work. And how I believe that by thinking differently about our tasks and our energy and attention, we can help get more of the right things done. And by right, I mean right for you, right for the situation, right for your particular circumstances, not some universal right or some external right way that someone else has told you. Basically, I want to pick productivity apart and then essentially help you to be more productive, which I appreciate sounds really counterintuitive and a little bit bonkers, but please bear with me because this chat is definitely worth your time. I've thought a lot about this stuff and I've really carefully put together some information to help you be more productive. So I want to free you from toxic productivity and give you tools and guidance to be what I'll call consciously productive. Now, if you enjoy this topic, then it is also definitely worth your time to go back and listen to episode five of the Rewriters podcast, the one where I talk all about conserving and maximizing your time. And I would really encourage you to listen to that if you haven't listened to it before, because it's loaded with ideas and tools that I will refer to in this episode, but not necessarily unpack in detail. It's really packed with goodies. Now, before I dive in, I do have a little bit of salesy housekeeping for you. I want to let you know that I'm running my beautiful flagship group coaching program, Rewrite Your Career Story, again this summer, with the first group session kicking off on Monday, the 30th of May. 
So if you would like to be a part of this program where I will walk alongside you through rewriting your career story from the inside out to create a career and life that works for you, then you can join the waitlist right now and you will be the first to hear when enrollment opens up in early-ish May. So I'm heading off to Australia for most of April, yay, and doors to the program will open up when I'm back in London in May. So I arrive back in London first week of May. I will put the waitlist link as well as details about the program in the show notes. And I'm also going to pop a link to my time wealth for the overworked career clinic. I launched Rewrite Career Clinics this year to help people with very specific work challenges that they want to get in and tackle head on. They are powerful, targeted and one off sessions working with me one to one. I cover personal brand, career clarity, and time wealth. So there are clinics dedicated to each of those topics. The time wealth for the overworked clinic will help you develop a time management strategy so you can maintain your impact in half the time at work. This is all about maximum impact, minimal depletion, It applies some of the elements we explore in today's episode. So if you enjoy today's chat and would like to work with me to increase your time wealth, you can sign up via the link in the show notes. Okay, that's enough housekeeping and sales chat for this month, free riders. Let's get on with the episode. We are a society obsessed with doing. And by doing, I mean doing as much as possible. We are always looking for ways to save time, hack time, make more time. And I do it too. And there's no harm in being careful with your time. I'm all about that. But issues do arise when our obsession with time saving becomes not so much about preserving space and room for ourselves and the things that we value, but rather when time saving becomes a way to do more doing. I wrote an article a little while ago, I think in 2020, that asked, when is productivity a dirty word? It was inspired, as so much of my work is, by one of my clients who was on the Rewrite Your Career Story program. Hello, Sue, if you're listening. Now, this episode is a bit of an extension of that piece. So I posed the question, when does productivity become toxic? And the conclusion that I came to was when we become obsessed with productivity for productivity's sake. Productivity by definition is the ratio between the volume of your input and the volume of your output. I didn't make that definition up. I found it in an online dictionary. There will be other definitions of productivity, but that is one that really captures input, output, resources in, output out. In other words, it's essentially how much stuff you can do or make with the resources that you have. And high productivity receives high praise because we as a culture worship at the altar of more, more busyness, more stuff, more money, more achievement. Organizations, industries, and other people celebrate and reward our productivity. And that's capitalism. Do more, make more, get more. We get external praise as well as an internal sense of satisfaction from being productive. And this is for a number of reasons. It's because we make effective use of our time and that's seen as a really good thing. And by effective use of our time, we really mean getting more stuff done. It's because we hit targets and we're seen as valuable. We feel worthy when we achieve something or we create things. But the problem isn't productivity itself. Productivity can be great. The problem is unexamined, unbracketed, unquestioned and unlimited productivity. Left unchecked, productivity, for productivity's sake, can become obsessional. 
when we lose track of what we're producing and why we're producing it, we become fixated on simply doing more of it. It disconnects us from ourselves. It creates stress and anxiety, eventually resentment as well, dissatisfaction, burnout. And ultimately, it makes us less productive. Unconscious and unbracketed productivity externalizes our value and it places too much emphasis on what's next rather than what's now. There's no real endpoint. Ultimately, it's just making room for more productivity. So recently I wrote in my weekly newsletter, The Weekly Rewrite, and if you're not subscribed, what are you doing? The link is in my show notes. I wrote about one of the biggest stories that I personally have been unraveling in my work, and that is the achievement worthiness bind, this bind that ties our value and our worth to our achievements. And productivity, or specifically toxic productivity, thrives in this bind. It's the glue. The more you can produce, the more you will achieve, the more that you achieve, the more worthy you will be. You can see that loop. You can see that bind. So if we unravel from this bind, are we rejecting productivity? Is the answer to simply disengage? Do we simply stop and give up? Do we check out? No, I don't think so. My ambition in my work and my intention with the work that I do with my clients is not to encourage people to be unproductive. It's not to encourage myself to be unproductive. It's not to reject productivity and effort or having dreams and going after them. It's about not allowing our hard work and our ambition to be merely a means to an achievement oriented end. It's not allowing our desire to get a handle on our time to be just simply about being more productive for productivity's sake. It's to disconnect from this loop and bind of produce, achieve, be worth more. Produce or do, achieve, be worth more. Repeat, repeat, repeat until retirement or an existential crisis or both. Instead, I favor present and conscious productivity being mindful with our efforts, slipping into a flow state, achieving and then celebrating your goals, not just rushing to set new ones, and maximizing your time so you can make room for things that feed your well-being, not so you can just do more stuff and chase new targets. If productivity is the ratio between the volume of your input and the volume of your output, then productivity for productivity's sake isn't really productive at all. For meaningful productivity, instead, we should be mindful of our input, our energy, our attention and our time and mindful of our output, what it is that we want to create and the impact that we want to make. So with input and output in mind, this is what I believe productivity looks like when it's working for you. You are present and enjoy the process, at least most of the time. It doesn't mean work is always easy, but you are present to the process. You have achievable, clear goals, and you're not constantly moving the goalposts on yourself for more. And actually, the goal doesn't have to be an external thing that you're trying to achieve. It could be the way that you want to feel. So I had a message from a friend recently who was making some big career and life decisions and I suggested playing out both scenarios in her mind and seeing how they made her feel. And she said she doesn't make career decisions on feeling, only logic and rational thought. But what if we did have some goals that we celebrated and embraced that were about how we wanted to feel? What could that look like? If we want to feel more ease and excitement in our life, what are the steps that we could take to get there? 
So you are present and enjoy the process and you have clear and achievable goals. When productivity is working for us, the goal is personally important to us. There's an intrinsic drive here. It's not just about external validation and external expectations. And you celebrate your wins. You savor completion. That is bracketing rather than moving straight on to the next target in this perpetual cycle of chasing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Rest, reflection and restoration become part of the process. So in endless productivity for productivity's sake, there is no end point. In conscious productivity, you're cycling through and sometimes you push and sometimes you rest. And when productivity is working for us, it creates more, not less, space and time for other things in your life. Now, when productivity is working against you, this is what it might look like. You are not present to the work that you are doing. There is no end in sight. Think hamster wheel. The end goal keeps moving. The end goal isn't your own, it's someone else's. You finish a task and move straight on to the next thing. It comes at the expense of your well-being. To maintain a healthy relationship with productivity, question it. Be clear on your who, why, what, when, how. Who are you doing this for? And why are you doing it? What's the target or the purpose? When will you know you've achieved it? Can you achieve it? Does it ever end? How will you recover and restore? What are your inputs and your outputs? Be really conscious of and mindful of them. I once had a coaching client. This is really early on when I was still training, actually. She was a practice client, but we worked together for six sessions. And she was a really self-aware high achiever. She actually was a trained coach as well. And she had the ability to slip into an almost fixated productive state. But she found it really difficult to step back out of it. And this created a cycle of extreme productivity followed by burnout. And it had plagued her for years. Her challenge was not learning how to be more or less productive. It was to learn how to be more consciously productive. She had periods of extreme unbracketed productivity and periods of zero productivity because she'd burnt herself out. She couldn't do anything. What ultimately ended that cycle was when she started to question, or we together started to question, the motivation behind her hyperproductivity and the beliefs that she held and, and also the payoffs she was getting. You know, payoffs like, I'm the only one that can do this, or if I do this, I will get praised because productivity equals achievement equals worthiness equals praise, right? So through our work together, she developed a technique that allowed her to visualize herself in her productive state and imagine herself stepping in and out of it easily. And the questions and the visualizations were just ways that she was able to start unraveling her toxic productivity so she could start being more consciously productive instead. This allowed her to create time for things outside of her work. She built in time for recovery and rest, and she could still achieve what was important to her without sacrificing her well-being. Now, the relentless pursuit of more means there is no finish line. There is never a finish line. Things are never complete. But the endless to-do lists, admin, work, asks, favors, demands, expectations from other people, expectations from yourself, they're not going away. They won't cease on your behalf. You have to choose to do things differently. So let me share with you my long and ongoing relationship with productivity. 
Toxic productivity was and still can be something that I really struggle with. I've been right in this personally, which is why I write and talk about it so much. Now, I won't go into the reasons of why I became so fixated on uber productivity, particularly over the last 10 years, but I have been trying to unravel it. It's a real focus for me. I really like being productive. I like to feel like I'm moving things forward and getting things done. I'm a classic doer. If you've ever been to my house, you'll know that I don't sit still for very long. When I host, I'm always up and about. I'm not a Netflix and chill kind of person. For me, a free afternoon is not an opportunity to watch a box set. It's the chance to repaint the fence. Now, I am, as I say, actively working to unravel this. I'm really aware of it and I'm extremely curious about it too. I'm actively trying to move away from achievement equals worthiness and from maximum productivity and maximum achievement towards maximum impact instead. I try to work and live in ways that create minimal depletion. So minimal depletion of my time, energy, my happiness and my headspace and maximum impact in the areas that I'm most passionate about and with the people that I care most about, both personally and professionally. I've spoken at length over the years about how having my son, Lucien, led me to halve my working hours when I worked full time in my corporate job. And roughly speaking, I went from a norm of 50 to 60 hours a week, sometimes 70 to 80, uh, and I even got beyond 80 hour weeks at times. I did a close to 90 hour week uh, for one week in my third trimester of pregnancy. So excessive working and hyper obsession with productivity was a real norm in, in that environment. And it was certainly something that I had normalized and was normal in my home as well. My husband's an overworker too. Now I got those hours down to a regular 35 hour working week when I came back from maternity leave and went full time when my son was one. And I had to reduce my working hours. I had to because I had gained an additional job. I was a mum now too. I had two full time jobs. It wasn't optional for me to keep working the way that I was working. I had to do things differently by necessity. This wasn't something that I, you know, meditated or journaled on and then the answers became clear. I had to get it done. It was non-negotiable. But what amazed me and what I share so often about now is how my impact wasn't halved. In my final year of full-time employment, I achieved some pretty fantastic things, things that I'm really, really proud of. I made a really significant impact, not just within my team and my part of the, the business, but globally. I worked on some really high-profile global projects, and I led a team and a group of people that achieved some really great things and worked alongside others who were achieving really great things too. And I did this in a very conservative amount of time each week, particularly for the environment that I worked in. So this discovery of, of being able to halve your hours, but without halving your impact or reducing your hours, not everybody works an 80 hour week and can halve that to 40. If you're currently working a 35 hour week and you want to, or maybe a 40 hour week, you're not going to reduce that to 20 if you're full time, but I digress. Numbers and, and timings can be a little bit arbitrary, but this is about significantly reducing your input without significantly reducing your output. Impact, output. So this discovery, this halving my hours without halving my impact was one of those key defining moments in my career and was definitely a spoke in the wheel that led me to create Rewrite. 
What I learned through that experience forms a really big part of what I speak and write and coach around now. Things like non-negotiables, being really clear on the impact you want to make and how and on whom, your personal brand and being really clear about what you want to be known for, focusing on your strengths, boundaries, helpfulness quotas and micro deadlines. I developed and honed this knowledge through that experience. And if you don't know what I mean by helpfulness quotas and micro deadlines, and you are someone that likes to get stuff done and help people, but struggle with people pleasing and saying no, then you really have to go and listen to the episode that I was talking about before, episode five of this podcast about maximizing and conserving your time. I talk about helpfulness quotas and micro deadlines in detail in that one. So what I managed to do in halving my hours, and as I said, this was by chance, not by design was I discovered how to be productive in smaller amounts of time with a particular goal or purpose rather than productive for productivity's sake in order to do more. I didn't have any more time. There was no more to give. I had to make it count in less. So this is the difference between bracketed and unbracketed productivity. When I did 60 to 80 hour weeks, I inhaled time management hacks. I filled every single inch of my diary and my day. I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. I was very productive and I did achieve a lot, but there was no end. When I halved that time, I simplified it. Anything that didn't make sense was surplus to requirement. If it was not making the impact that I wanted to make, then it had to go. Now, this is an ongoing work in progress for me because I am unraveling a lifetime of conditioning and decades of old habits and brain grooves. But I keep moving towards designing my days, my weeks, my months. So I'm leading with what I want to prioritize and also how I want to feel beyond to do lists and external expectations and social conditioning. I create room and space in my diary and my day. I focus on bursts of time micro deadlines, I call them, not endless time. I'm productive for a particular priority's sake. I'm consciously productive. I've talked through our obsession with productivity, specifically toxic productivity. And I've shared with you my relationship with productivity and how I now work to be consciously productive, to unravel from the old achievement worthiness binds while still caring about my work and enjoying doing the work of letting go of productivity for productivity's sake without letting go of having dreams and ambitions. My work is about showing you how to make your work work for you. And that means understanding your unique needs and contribution and having agency or at least some agency over your time and feeling like what you do matters. There's a point to it. It's meeting your obligations, sure, but doing so in ways that are fulfilling and enriching for you, not draining or demotivating. And so now I want to give you some tools and a language for thinking about the things that you do so you can do them more thoughtfully, so you can be more consciously productive. Before I go into that, I just want to take a little side note to say, if the idea of conscious productivity or intentional productivity or mindful productivity is making you feel a little bit like it's making your toes curl a bit because words like conscious and intentional and uh, mindful feel a little bit love and light just use language that appeals to you that works for you or just think about it in terms of the concepts not the words themselves I know that a lot of these words 
they've been so co-opted and so misused and it can be really difficult to talk about these concepts and these ideas in ways that don't alienate people. So if hearing terms like conscious productivity and toxic productivity is feeling if you're feeling a bit of resistance about that try to let go of the language and just hear the ideas okay and just let what works for you stick and what doesn't let that bit go So a big shift for me was when I realized that I spent a lot of my time doing work that either wasn't my work or had very little to do with my actual job. That is much of what I discovered when I looked closely at my diary after having my baby and was forced to rethink how I worked. Now, another big struggle that I see a lot of people that I work with have is that time spent thinking about work and taking on all of the strain, burden and anxiety of that without actually doing the work. So I was inspired a few months ago to write in my newsletter about a participant in the most recent Rewrite Your Career Story group. Far too much of her precious energy was being eroded by that endless prod of tedious admin tasks. These tasks that in real terms take about 10 minutes, maybe 20 or 30, but in thinking about it terms can take days, if not weeks and months. So with her in mind, I updated a resource that I had developed a couple of years ago, which I used to call the Productive Day Planner. And I wanted to change that because of course, productive or encouraging people to plan their days for maximum productivity is problematic and it's not, I don't wanna feed into that stuff. So I've since changed it to the Rewrite Planner because productivity can be such a toxic and misleading word. And I shared it with my subscribers in that newsletter and I've also provided a link to it for you in the show notes. So now I'm gonna walk you through the Rewrite Planner and you can consider this, if you do subscribe to my newsletter and you've read this already, consider this an audio version of the planner, a companion tool. So the Rewrite Planner is a tool to help you design your days or weeks if you prefer, depending on how you like to structure your time. It's gonna help you design your days or weeks or months for maximum impact and minimal depletion. So before I walk you through it, I wanna say that this is an approach that I have found to be really useful and effective, and it may not entirely work for you and that's okay. So don't squeeze yourself into someone else's box. This has been designed by me and all of my judgments, values, strengths, character traits, cultural conditioning, weaknesses and assumptions, they have all informed it. Like I said before about the language of conscious productivity and mindful productivity, if those concepts make you feel a little bit resistant or they don't work for you, hate the ideas that do. I have really good friends who are ADHD, ADD, autistic, single mothers, full-time mothers, women in grief, and a neat little system that reduces your reality into a timetable isn't gonna fly. But, and it's a really big but, I say that and then I put that aside and I share what I'm going to share with you because you take it forward in a way that works or resonates for you and you leave out the bits that don't. Make it work for you. The point here is not to put you in a box and tell you how to live your life. It's to help you think about your activities with a little more dimensionality and nuance because not all activities are the same and not all activities deserve or need the best of your time, energy and focus. So let's get to it. On any given day or week, 
And when I use day in this podcast episode, you can think about day interchangeably with week, okay? Approach time the way that works for you. I know some people plan by day, some people plan by week. I do both. So on any given day, we have a number of different activities that we need to do. And each of these activities will vary in importance and duration and effort required. And yet, so often we don't design our days accordingly. So think about it. How often have you given precious hours to a task that really wasn't that important while delaying a task that was really important to you and should have got the very best of your time? Or like I was mentioning before, how often have you spent hours thinking about a task and not doing it? The way that you approach your day or your week is really important. And when you start thinking about your activities in terms of types of activity and design your day accordingly, you can free up time to work on your biggest priorities while reducing time and energy wasted on things that have little to no impact on what really matters to you. This is maximum impact for minimal depletion, which is the very definition of productivity. That's conscious, not toxic productivity. So the Rewrite Planner categorizes the different activities you do each day and aligns them to your unique energy cycle. Different activity types are best suited to particular times of your day or week. So the planner will show you how to think about your activity by type and then plan them around how you and when you work best. It will also surface those activities that really have no business being on your to-do list and hopefully empower you to make room for projects that will move you towards your dreamiest personal and professional goals. It's going to help you to understand when you work most effectively and what's most important to you and how you can move those projects and priorities forward while hopefully reducing your stress levels too. Now, initially planning your days or weeks like this is going to require some effort and it may feel quite tedious and time consuming at first, but that's because you're getting really forensic with your activities. You're being very, very consciously productive here. You're reviewing every single line item. Over time, this can become second nature and can allow you to maximize and protect your energy and focus and time without reducing the impact that you make. So first, let's talk about your energy cycle. Now, I am not an expert in this. I'm not a scientist or a researcher. This is based entirely on my own personal experience and anecdotal, highly unscientific research done with my clients. And that is they've shared their experiences with me too and I can see some themes, okay? So now that's out of the way, think about how your energy tracks throughout the day. When do you find that you tend to be your most engaged or focused? Are you a morning person? Are you a night owl? Do you get a second wind at a certain point during the day? Is there a time in the day when everything takes you twice as long? So I'm at my absolute peak at the start of the day and I call this my peak period. After this period, my energy levels taper off as the day goes on and there is no second wind for me. If something requires focus and cerebral effort and I haven't tackled it in the morning, it's either not gonna happen that day or it's going to take a lot more effort and time than it would have if I did it at my peak. So requiring more effort for the same task because of timing is poor planning on my part and it makes no productivity sense at all. Going back to that input output ratio, it's messing with my input output ratio. 
Now I know this, I know my energy cycle very well. It's linear and I design my day accordingly. And this is one of the things that I put in place when I came back from mat leave and had to work and make as much impact in half the time. And if you ask anyone who has worked with me in the past five years since I had Lucian, they will tell you I'm fiercely protective of my mornings because that's when I get the most bang for my buck. Anything that needs the very best of my brain happens in the morning. My most important item, my peak strategic, is prioritized at the start of the day, my peak period. I line those two things up. Essentially, I'm lining up optimal input and optimal output, right? And the least important, or at least the least cerebrally intensive admin is placed at the end of the day. So if you're a night owl, your cycle will look different. Your admin might happen at the start of the day when your brain is warming up and your peak strategic may happen in the evening when you're sparkling at your creative and energetic best. There are no hard and fast rules here other than for you to understand your unique rhythm and know your own cycle and then to plot your highest and lowest priorities against your periods of highest and lowest energy. So now I'm gonna walk you through the five activity types of the Rewrite Planner. And this will help you to proportionately prioritize and map your activities. So number one, peak strategic. These are the most important, chunkiest items on your to-do list. They are high priority and also have a degree of time sensitivity too. They require your energy and sustained focus. And these are activities that are really going to move you towards your biggest goals and they're going, to, they're going to turn the dial for you. Try to prioritize one peak strategic activity or time burst on any given day or week, depending on how you break your planner down. I plan my time daily and weekly. So I have a sense of what I want to get through for the week and then I tackle it day by day. And I won't dedicate a whole day to a peak strategic activity. Instead, I'll plot it into each day at my peak strategic time. So I know that 60 or 90 minutes each morning on a peak strategic activity for a week will be immeasurably more effective for me than spending 10 hours in one day on something. It's input versus output and it's a smart and effective use of my time. Number two, the long list. So I started using a long list. I didn't call it that then. I just, what did I, I kind of remember what I called it then, but maybe I did call it the long list. Um, but I started using a long list in 2016 when I was pregnant with Lucian, when I was working on a big pitch with a new and sometimes difficult and always time poor stakeholder. I was running the pitch and it fell on me to ensure that everything got done in really good time. And for me, if everything is urgent, nothing is urgent. And if everything needs to get done, nothing will get done. You have to prioritize. So your long list is a dynamic list of items that are important and high priority, but they are less time sensitive. So peak strategic items often start on your long list, but when something rises to the top of the long list in terms of priority and becomes more time sensitive, that's when it becomes peak strategic. It needs to be tackled at the best part of your day. It's important for you to move it forward. The long list comprises all of the important items, projects, goals that you want to reach or aspire towards. And it's where you can capture all of the brilliant ideas that you have that you might not be able to do immediately. They're important, but they're not urgent. This is a list that you can keep on your desk or on your wall. And it's a list that keeps moving. 
things move onto it and things move off it. The long list honors new ideas and creativity. It encourages investment in things that are really important but not yet urgent. So if you have an afternoon, for example, where you have some free time, that would be a perfect time to pull out your long list. And by spending a chunk of your time on these items, you can develop really fulfilling, impact-making, and also stress-reducing work habits. If you're not familiar with the Eisenhower method, do check it out. It's a categorizing system for better time management. Ideally, you wanna move away from doing work that is not important, and also move away from always doing things that are important, but you're doing them with your hair on fire because they've become urgent. They've become extremely mission critical. You know those people who are always running around with their hair on fire, everything they do is urgent. It's a really ineffective way to work and it's also a really stressful way to live. To understand what is important and strategic to you versus what is important to someone else, avoid spending your time firefighting someone else's urgence. The goal with the Eisenhower method is to work on things that are important but not urgent. That is the sweet spot and your long list is essentially your important not urgence. So one final word on the long list, try grouping these items by project or theme where you can and try only working on one project or theme at a time. So avoid flitting between them because we all know the energy seepage that takes place when we're oscillating between different tasks. It's not good input or output ratio and therefore it's not going to move you towards greater conscious and intentional productivity. Okay, number three, growth. Growth tasks are the activities that support your personal and professional growth. Investing in your growth is really important for your fulfillment and your development. Growth is one of my values, so it makes sense that I would prioritize these activities. But for all of us, if we're living a fully engaged life, we want to grow and learn. Honor that and make room for it. Try to make time in your day or week for reflection and learning. So reading, events, networks, webinars, TED Talks, research about topics that you're interested in, so on and so on, they would all go here. Number four, avoider. These are those annoying tasks that you have to do but keep avoiding, like sending that email or making that phone call. They are often really mindless, but the likelihood is that you think about them until they're done and you waste a lot of your time and energy in the meantime. These tasks are conscious productivity kryptonite. So the goal here is moving towards never allowing avoider tasks to sit on your to-do list for longer than a day. Try to tackle them as swiftly as possible to minimize their impact on your headspace and time. We're always going to have annoying tasks that we need to do. So try to get used to rubbing up against the discomfort of them quick and fast, like removing a Band-Aid. It's going to be a really good habit for you to get into. And trust me, the discomfort that's going to come from facing these avoider tasks head on is far less than the discomfort that will come, remain and increase by leaving them there sitting on your to-do list day in, day out while you avoid them. We've all been there and it sucks. So 24 hour limit on these guys in and out. Number five, the final type, admin. So these tasks require minimal cerebral effort. Checking email, for example, would go here. They're important, necessary tasks for the most part, but they don't require the best of your energy and they shouldn't receive the best of your time. 
So with admin tasks, it's important to keep these activities ticking along and avoid them rolling into the avoider category. So avoider tasks tend to be admin tasks that have stuck around for too long and you've kept on avoiding them and they've become avoiders. Now, I often have one or two admin tasks a day that I will tick off. I'm a zero inbox person, for example. I know some people are pro that, some people are against it. But one of my daily to-dos is clear inbox. So I go in and I actively email. I do not passively check my emails. Emails is an active present task and I rattle through it and then I'm done and I'm out. So with admin, little and often, keep it moving, keep it active, get in, get it done, get out. So to recap, the five activity types are peak strategic, and this should get the very best of your time and energy, long list, growth, avoider, do not let these guys stick around, they are time and energy sucks, and admin. So now let's talk about weighting your activities. To get the very best out of your day or week, structure it around the types of activities that you need to do and plot them against your energy cycle in order of importance. And again, experiment, play, see what works. If it doesn't work for you to do each activity type each day, get creative and think about a weekly plan instead. You've got to make this work for you and you'll only work out how to do that by trying it out and playing around with it and seeing what fits and what doesn't. You've got to put the ideas into practice and you want to understand your different activity types, your unique energy cycle and what approach daily or weekly is optimal for you and your schedule and your way of working. So number one, activity types. Number two, energy cycle. Number three, best approach for you, experiment. Okay, so waiting your activities. Do your peak strategic activity at your peak period time. That is number one rule here. Whenever your peak period time is, and remember mine's at the start of my working day, yours might be mid-morning or as soon as you wake up or in the evening, whatever it is, know it and protect it for your most important activities. Try to allow at least an hour of entirely uninterrupted time. So you can break the back of your peak strategic activity by doing it in your peak period time and protecting that. Now, the second task you want to really lock in is avoider. So pick one or more of these and do them towards the start of your day. So for early birds, still protect the peak strategic activity time, okay? But for night owls, maybe do your avoider first. If you leave these tasks unchecked, they are the ones that are your biggest time and energy sucks. So you want to get them out of the way early in your day to free up valuable headspace. Now with avoider tasks, you want to time cap them. No more than 30 minutes per day. And to be honest, I'd even be happy with 15 minutes a day. 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Get in, get out, rip it off like a band-aid. If you need to, set a timer, literally. Do not let yourself leave your desk until that timer goes off. So perhaps you want to start with spending 10 minutes doing an avoider task each day. And maybe you move that up and increase it to 20 or 30 minutes as it becomes more of a habit. But make it non-negotiable, no bargaining, no clearing out the kitchen cupboards, no snack. Stop avoiding the avoiders. Then long list. So you start with locking in your peak strategic, then avoiders, then long list. So pick one or two of these depending on time investment required. And remember, only work on one project or category at a time. Don't flip between projects, but create time to consistently work on your important 
but non-urgent activities, your long lists. It's a really effective way to maximize your impact. So I'm writing a book at the moment and I have finished the proposal part of the process and I'm starting to pitch it out. And I realized that I was, you know, waiting for permission to start writing this book. Around the same time as having that realization, I heard about something called the London Salon Writers Hour. And basically it's, I think they run it four times a day and you join a Zoom call with people from around the world who are also writers or writing something and you sit together and in an hour you write. It's like a, an accountability uh, session for writers. Now, I decided to start using the Writer's Hour each day to start working on my book. And it's 50 minutes a day. When you factor in the kind of the opening five minutes to welcome everyone, the writing time, and then the closing comments, it's 50 minutes each day that I'm writing this book. Now, in the space of about a week and a half, I've I'd written 5,000 words of new content that I was really happy with. And by the time another couple of weeks had passed, I'm almost halfway through my first draft. And that, I promise you, is by sitting down for 50 minutes each day. Very, very short, uninterrupted, focused time on something that is really important to me. Then growth. Pick one thing from this list and try to go somewhere away from your main workspace to do it. What a luxury and a joy to schedule in an hour to go outside and read a book or to clear your diary of meetings one morning so you can sit in the breakout area with your headphones and a cup of tea and a list of TED Talks that you've bookmarked. This isn't frivolous time. This is growth time. It's contemplation time. It's space to be creative and innovative and you'll be inspired and I believe become an even more effective professional, whatever your field. I guarantee you the most inspiring and creative thinkers and leaders in your organization or in your industry are making time and space to learn and to reflect and to grow. They are the people who change the world, not the people running around with their hair on fire. Finally, when you're planning out your day or week, admin. Pick one or two admin tasks, more if time allows, and then tick them off, move through them. Keep your admin ticking along as you go through your days, your weeks, your months. Don't let admin tasks become avoiders. Think of admin like clutter and dust. So you don't let it build up. So you need a massive overhaul, a spring cleaner or a professional cleaner to come in and sort it out. You tidy as you go, you keep it moving, keep it low stakes and low stress. Okay, so a quick word again on timing. I would say for each day, an hour for peak strategic and 30 minutes for avoider is a good rule of thumb and then variable for your long list growth and admin activities. So locking in an hour when you're at your energetic best to smash through some work on your peak strategic priority list and then locking in a 30 minute burst or a 20 minute burst to clear out those avoider tasks. And then you have the rest of the hours to meet your other priorities and commitments and experiment, as I say, see what works. As a general rule of thumb, I would aim to give more time to long list activities and less time to admin tasks. Little and often is the best approach for admin and prevents them from becoming avoiders. But play and see what works for you. I personally no longer do avoider tasks for 30 minutes a day because I don't tend to have admin tasks anymore that I'm avoiding. And this is something that has happened over time, but it's become a habit. 
Likewise with peak strategic, I naturally do my peak strategic at my peak period. So play around with it, make it doable for you. Find that sweet spot between discomfort and ease and that glorious sweet spot of maximum impact for minimal depletion, your consciously productive state. So that's all for the episode. To download your rewrite planner, go to the show notes and also share with me how you get on. You can share with me on Instagram at hashtag rewrite planner or find me at the rewriters. You can drop me an email, go to my website, rewriterewrite.com. You can find out how to get in touch with me there. I'd really love to hear how you're unraveling that achievement worthiness bind, how you're moving away from productivity for productivity's sake, blasting those avoider tasks off your to-do list and out of your precious head, and most importantly, making your work work for you. So please share this episode with a friend or colleague and don't forget to give me five stars and a review if you enjoy it because it really makes all the difference, particularly to indie potties like mine. Okay, well, have a beautiful month, Rewriters. I'm off to Australia and I will see you in May. The Rewriters is produced, written and presented by Monique Shaw, original artwork by Kiana Perry and original music by DJ Cinnamon.